Shalom from Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg, and welcome to our Exploits Ministry Center right here in the heart of the old city of Jerusalem, where we're holding from time to time open air meetings right next to the walls of the old city, preaching the glorious gospel and laying hands on the sick, seeing the same gospel that Jesus preached here 2,000 years ago, still setting the captives free. And we want to invite you to come up to Jerusalem with us to be part of our open air gospel preaching. We're looking today in this program how the church unfortunately lost the glory, but how we've been regaining the fullness of the gospel message within the past decades. Our ministry is based upon Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32, which says the people who know God, that's the key, we must know God, we will be strong and carry out exploits for the Lord. That speaks of the works that Jesus said we would do that he did and even greater works he promised we would do in John chapter 14. Now there are reasons why God sometimes allows sickness to come upon us. And in past programs we've been discussing some of those reasons but for the moment I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 the Apostle Paul speaking here, and verses 27 to 32, because he points out something that usually we don't hear preached, but the eating bread and drinking the cup of Holy Communion in an unworthy manner, in other words, with unconfessed sin, perhaps harboring unforgiveness in our heart, not discerning the Lord's body, causes, Paul said, to even have an untimely death. But let a man examine himself, he said, for this cause, eating and drinking of the Lord's cup and body in an unworthy manner, many are weak and sickly and even die. For, he says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And then over in uh, the Old Covenant in Numbers chapter 12, we see that a prophetess of the Lord, a great matriarch of the Jewish people, the sister of Moses, Miriam, actually brought sickness upon herself and a reproach upon herself because she touched God's anointed. She spoke out against Moses. And so we need to be very careful of what we say about a man or a woman of God because it can bring judgment upon ourselves through some form of sickness or disease. It's very important that from time to time we take a spiritual inventory of ourselves. You may even at this point want to get a pen and paper because we want to before the Lord just take some notes and say, uh, Lord, what is my most pressing physical or emotional need concerning healing, for example. And be exact. For example, if your eyesight is growing weak, just write that down. If there's some emotional need in your family, write that down. What do I want God to do for me? Please be specific. Because as we've been seeing in previous exploits programs, it's the specific prayer that Jesus really forced out of certain people, such as blind Bartimaeus. He said, what is it that you want me to do for you? It's the specific prayer 
that God answers, not just wishing, not just thinking, but asking, what are my reasons to be healed? Please list an order of, of importance. Ask God, do you require that I make any changes in my lifestyle habits? Am I in a relationship I shouldn't be in? Am I having thoughts I shouldn't be having? Is there, Lord, an attitude adjustment you want me to make? Ask God perhaps to show you some people with whom God wants you to make some emotional adjustments. Perhaps forgive. Change your attitude towards. And if he puts a certain name on your spirit, I mean, he could be speaking to some of you right now that there's a certain person and you know who that person is that the Lord wants you to forgive or change your attitude towards. Then the next step is to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? with this person? Do you want me to cut off my relationship with this person? Perhaps I shouldn't be in a relationship with that person. Do you want me to forgive that person? Whatever it is God is asking you to do, enter now into a solemn covenant with the Lord saying, Lord, I will obey you in what you're telling me to do. And I will believe because we have a healing covenant in the word. As I obey you and I have no sin issues in my life, I give myself unreservedly to be used by you, you will touch and heal me. Amen. Amen. Now when it comes to divine healing, Jesus is our master and our mentor. A lot of people need instruction in the healing ministry because there's so much talk about healing right now in the body of Christ. I want to give some background, really, some biblical background to the whole topic of healing. Jesus, according to the circumstances of each case, moved differently. Sometimes, as he was led by the Spirit of God and as he watched his Father, he used his hands to lay hands on the sick. Sometimes, it was just his authoritative word that brought about the miracle. And then he also did creative miracles. In most examples of healing in the Gospels, a point of contact was made between the healer, Jesus or his apostles, and between the sick person. However, Jesus said the highest faith method is when he was merely petitioned to speak the word of healing. For example, a Roman centurion asked Jesus, to speak the word of healing concerning a sick servant. And the servant of the centurion was healed despite the fact that Jesus never touched him. It was healing at a distance. In another incident, a Gentile woman implored Jesus to heal her demon-crazed daughter, and he did from a distance again. Jesus greatly commended the faith of these two Gentiles. The woman with the demon-crazed daughter and the Roman centurion. Why? Because they believed his word. And they did not have to see him perform the miracle. They just believed. He said their faith was great. And we need to have that kind of great faith today. Just believing in his word that it's done. In his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus used the laying on of hands as he did to heal a crippled woman. 
He took by the hand Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever and he also rebuked the fever. He touched a leper and a blind man. And he himself, Jesus was touched by others. And consequently, when they touched him, they received healing. In the case of a woman, for example, who was suffering from a long-standing issue of blood, Jesus knew that power had passed from out of himself into somebody else because she touched him. And people can touch you and me in faith if they know we are anointed vessels of God and they can also be healed if they have that kind of faith. Jesus was led by the Spirit as you and I have to be in each case. For example, one time when he was healing a, a deaf mute, he put his finger into the ears of the mute. He touched his tongue with saliva and gave the command, be opened. Amazingly, in an act of creation, Jesus mixed his own spittle with clay on the ground to design a ball to make a creative miracle to cure a man born blind. Perhaps he never even had eyeballs. Jesus healed by command when he told a man with a withered arm, stretch out your arm. So a lot of the healing ministry is giving the faith command. But I want you please to remember that when no touch was used, Jesus highly commended the person's faith when they believed even without anointing of oil or laying on of hands. That was the faith that was the most pleasing to the Lord. When was the last time that you practiced the laying on of hands to heal somebody? Perhaps a family member who is poorly? If someone in your family comes and says they're not feeling well, do you think automatically? I mean, is, an auto, is it an automatic reflex to say, come, let me lay hands on you and pray for you? Well, it should be because Jesus said, in the Great Commission, in Mark chapter 16, those that believe that follow him will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Now, I must admit that laying hands on the sick does require a certain God-given boldness, but this is why we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, so that we'll have power and faith and boldness to lay hands on the sick. I have to say that nobody can be a healer and be afraid to defile himself or herself by handling the sick or touching dead people if you want to raise them up. No one can be a healer if you're afraid to go into a hospital and be around germs. Likewise, no one can be an exorcist and at the same time be afraid of the devil. But when we know the Lord, we're strong and we're not afraid of any devil. Jesus was certainly not afraid to touch a leper, nor was he afraid to take the hand of the dead daughter of Jairus and raise her up. Furthermore, he touched the coffin of the widow's son in Nain, and the boy was restored to life. So Jesus was absolutely fearless when it came to sickness, disease, and death, handling all of this as you and I should be. In general, sickness was cured by bodily contact the laying on of hands, and on the other hand, in general, the devil was expelled by means of a strong rebuke. Now in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, we see that Jesus healed all manner of disease 
and all manner of sickness. There's no case that is beyond the help of Jesus. Furthermore, and this is an extremely important point, we're told that our Lord healed all who came to him. He didn't just say, okay, these, 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 I will heal, and these on this side, go away. I'm not going to heal you. No, everybody who petitioned him received healing. Isn't that wonderful? That means all who ask today, he is the same to heal as he was yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. During his public ministry of three years, there was bodily restoration for all who believed and for all who willed to be healed and for all who sought the divine healer. Those who did not seek him stayed sick. But Jesus said of his mission in Luke chapter 13 and verse 32, Today and tomorrow I shall be casting out devils and working cures. And on the third day I reach my goal. He was speaking of the three years of his ministry. He encapsulated it by saying, I'm going to cast out devils, cure people in three years. This is my mission. He defined his ministry in terms of exorcism and healing. His mission as he saw it was to the sick, to those physically, mentally, and spiritually diseased. He said to the righteous don't need a doctor. Why did, so what did Jesus think of doctors? Jesus being the ultimate healer, the physician par excellence, he indirectly called himself a doctor when he stated it's not the healthy that need a doctor but the sick. I didn't come to invite virtuous people but sinners. So indirectly he said I'm Dr. Jesus. The Bible however is almost completely silent on the subject of physicians. As I just mentioned, Jesus mentions physicians once. Luke, the writer of a gospel, writer of the book of Acts was a physician. But in the Old Testament, two references to physicians are negative and, and there's a negative reference in the New Testament as well. We see in the Old Testament, King Asa died of a disease in his feet because he consulted the physicians rather than God. I want you to note he didn't die because he consulted the physicians, but because he consulted the physicians and not God. Think about that. And then in the New Testament, a woman spent all of her money, the woman with the issue of blood, on physicians, but only grew worse until she encountered Jesus. So that tells us you doctors can only go so far. There comes a time when Dr. Jesus steps in on the scene and he becomes our only hope. But let's not let him be our last resource. Let's go to him first. On the whole, Scripture considers healing as a divine monopoly. Isn't that amazing? That's a quote by a Hungarian Oxfordian scholar, Geza Vermes, whose father incidentally died in the Holocaust. In Vermes' book, Jesus the Jew, he made the following insightful statement. I think it's so insightful, I, I want to quote it on this program. In the scriptures, quote, recourse to the services of a doctor in preference to prayer is held to be evidence of lack of faith. It's held to be an attitude of irreligiousness 
meriting punishment. This attitude is reflected as late as the third century BC in connection with the grave illness of King Asa, which I just mentioned, King of Judah. In general, Vermes said, it can be asserted that to refer certain matters of health to a priest was a duty. To seek the help of a prophet was an act of religion, but to visit the doctor was an act of impiety, end quote. So this is not saying that we're against going to doctors, but it, he's just saying as a reporter that the Bible generally looks upon visiting the doctor as an act of impiety rather than believing and trusting God. Isn't that an interesting observation? Well, in the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16, one of the power signs predicted to characterize believers in Jesus is that we will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. The church has practiced the laying on of hands for confirmations or ordinations as a symbol of the transmission of grace and power. But the fact that many in the church have largely ceased to use the same sign, the imposition of hands for bodily healing, clearly indicates that faith has failed in much of the institutional church in this vital area. But our Lord's command to heal has never been withdrawn. The early church accepted the Great Commission and obeyed the twofold command, not only to make disciples, but to heal the sick. The healing of the sick was a natural, integral part of the church's ministry. The healing ministry continued for several centuries and was neglected only when the Lord's followers lowered their standards and level of faith. In the early church, the normal method of healing was by the laying on of hands, commanding healing in the name of Jesus, or, as James chapter 5 says, to call for the elders of the church to anoint the sick person with oil. It was believed, as James 5 states, quote, the prayer of faith would save the sick, and if he has committed sins, it would be forgiven him. The point of contact that the oil represented evoked the presence of the Spirit of God to perform the healing. Perpetual powers were conferred on the church because of the promise of the Holy Spirit's continual ministry until the end of the age. He would be our helper and our co-worker. Now, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, were certainly obedient to the command to heal the sick. And in Acts chapter 5, we see that they carried on the healing ministry because they carried out the sick onto the streets here of Jerusalem. They laid them on beds and couches so that as the apostle Peter came by, even if his shadow might overshadow some of them, they were healed. They were brought, multitudes came from the cities all around Jerusalem, and they were all healed, even by the shadow of Peter. And in Acts chapter 19, cloths were taken off of the body of the Apostle Paul because of the tangibility of the healing anointing within his vessel. We've been privileged to witness the repeat of just about every Bible miracle in the gospel campaigns of evangelist Reinhard Bonnke and in our own gospel meetings. And so the Lord has said what Paul and Peter did 
every believer in every generation should also do. In Kenya, one time when Evangelist Bonke was just walking out in the market, a sick person saw the evangelist, had the faith to believe that as the evangelist's shadow went past him in the market, he would be healed, and he was. The same thing happened here in Jerusalem when uh, I prayed for a woman, and the shadow of my car went past her. She got up from being bowed over with a spirit of infirmity and continued to walk down the street. In Kenya, in West Africa, we've seen men, madmen, who were chained just like the gathering madmen in the scripture. They broke their chains. They came into the meetings and they were instantly set free. In Africa, we've seen numerous cripples walk, many get up from stretchers, hunchbacks healed. In Burundi and Kaduna, goiters vanished, blind eyes opened so many times we've lost count, hallelujah. Dumb mutes healed. And I remember the healing of a girl in Nigeria whose bones were misshapen after an auto crash, but they cracked noisily as the bones were realigned in her miraculous healing. In her own ministry, we've seen cripples walk unaided. An Arab was averted from a major lung cancer operation. He was also not only healed, but delivered from smoking. We've seen an Israeli woman delivered from the misery of drugs in a wheelchair, kneecaps recreated, tumors exploding and vanishing. The only reason why any church does not heal today or any individual is not teaching healing that claims to be a believer is because of our level of faith. Also, miracles often do not occur simply because they're not expected. It's been said in ignorance that the age of miracles ended with the apostles. Not true. For this program, I've researched the writings of the early Christian church fathers and other documents of the church dating from the close of the apostolic age up to the seventh century, when unfortunately at that time the church was plunged through doubt and unbelief into the dark ages. But from an examination of these records, it's clear that Christian healing was a part of the church's ongoing ministry and that the healing ministry was inseparable from the work of redemption on up until maybe the seventh century. And it wasn't until uh, about the 17th century that really the church began to recover some of the glimmers of the healing revival that we're enjoying today. The apostles' own records in the New Testament carry us well on towards the close of the first century. We see that healing was coexistent with preaching and was universally practiced. The next generation after the apostolic church carried on the biblical practices and methods. Saint Justin, for example, writing in the early part of the second century, he spoke of the continuance of the spiritual gift of healing. Justin also referred to the practice of casting out of demons, and he said it was very common in the church. Every demon, he wrote, and I'm quoting, when exercised in the name of the very Son of God, is overcome. In his second Apologia, Justin mentioned signs and wonders as common knowledge. Quote, Many of our Christian men exorcise demons in the name of Jesus Christ, driving the possessing demons out of the men. 
though they could not be cured by all the other exorcists and by those who used incantations and drugs. Writing towards the end of the second century, the Bishop of Lyon, St. Arrhenius, observed that it was well known that the Christian church of his day practiced healing, and I will quote from St. Arrhenius's book, 2, chapter 32, those who are in truth the Lord's disciples do certainly and truly drive out demons, so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe and join themselves to the church. Others also heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. Yea, moreover, the dead have been raised up and remain among us for many years. And what more shall I say? It's not possible to name the number of gifts which the church throughout the whole world has received from God in the name of Jesus Christ, in which she exerts day after day for the benefit of the nations, neither practicing deception nor taking any reward for them. For as the church has received freely from the Lord, freely she also ministers. Nor and I think this is a very interesting quote, does she perform anything by angelic invocation? Because we see a lot of ministers of God today claiming that their power is coming from angels. Nor does she do it by incantations or from any other wicked, curious art, but only by directing her prayers to the Lord and calling upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as the church has been accustomed to do, to work miracles for the advantage of mankind. Tertullian, the first great Latin theologian, writing in the year 211, also made reference to a number of cases of sicknesses healed by Christians. And one of those was the Emperor Septimus Servius. Oil was mentioned as the means used. In a later edition of Exploits, I'm going to continue to look at the history of healing in the church, how it did exist, not only in the days of Jesus, but how he transferred the power to his apostles and how the sub-apostolic church continued the great ministry of casting out demons and healing the sick all the way up into the seventh century. Many of the liturgies that are available from the history of the church prove that faith was resonant until the standards of faith were lost in the dark ages. But hallelujah, we're living in the time of the restoration of all things. Acts chapter 3 says Jesus must be retained in heaven until the restoration of all things. Not only is the nation Israel that I'm standing in today been restored according to Bible prophecy, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit that the church lost through the centuries, through doubt and unbelief, have been restored. And we're seeing a great infusion of faith to belief for the miraculous in our last days as it should be, as the church begins to get ready for the great and glorious coming of the Lord. We want to encourage you to visit our website at www.exploits.tv, learn about our conferences here in the Holy Land, and if you would like our Exploits magazine about end-time events, please contact us. Until next time, I'm Christine Dark saying be strong, do exploits. Shalom from Jerusalem.